Okay, before we get started with this episode, got to let you know this is a two-parter and this is the second part. So if you didn't listen to the first part already, then you need to go listen to that first. Otherwise, it's going to be very confusing. Yeah, so just hop on back there, have a listen to the first podcast. It'll take you like, I don't know, an hour. And then you can come back here and join us for part two of Georgian Food. Welcome to The Dish, the show that uncovers the stories behind the world's most famous dishes. We are your hosts, Tomo and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us and expert guests for tasty facts, foodie secrets and more. In part two of this Georgian cuisine double episode, we talk about Georgia's second national dish, kinkali. I would say they are the size of a nine-year-old's fist. <laughs> right. So a medium-sized child's fist. Yep. Not quite a full adult's fist, but definitely a child's People fist. People are running out to grab their but children right now. But not a baby's right fist. They're going That's to something get else. their nieces and nephews. They're like, how big is the fist? Oh, okay, now I get it. And they're stuffed with a soupy meaty filling. <laughs> A soupy, a soupy meaty? Yes. Soupy meaty? It's soupy meat. So it's meat soupy. covered in stocky soupy deliciousness inside this perfect doughy skin that is shaped somewhat like a pirate's coin purse. <laughs> Plus, a rare type of dish you'll almost never hear us talk about on a podcast. Salad. It's an amazing salad with all of those flavors of Georgia, the basil and the walnut paste and the marigold all together. And those Georgian beef tomatoes just set my salad world on fire. <laughs> the very small world that it is. The very small world of salads. But that... it is on fire with yeah. beef tomatoes. Okay, welcome to the show. This is Georgian Food Part 2. I am drooling just thinking about doing this episode because Georgian food is amazing. And we're talking about one of my favorites, kinkali. Yeah, that's going to be one of the big dishes we're talking about in this episode. In the last episode, we were talking about kachapuri, a national dish of Georgia, which is their cheesy, cheesy bread. It's so wonderful. Sometimes they put cheese on it. Like it's cheesy, cheesy, and then they put cheese on it. Yeah, yeah, like three cheeses. So once they've already put two cheeses... Cheesy number three. Yeah. Amazing. So much cheese. And so many different types of cheesy bread. So if you missed that episode and you didn't listen to our disclaimer just now, why didn't you listen to that? You've <laughs> got to go back and listen to episode one. Otherwise, it's just all going to be a complete mess. Also, in that first episode, we were talking about the history of Georgia, which is intense. There is so much history. Yeah, this place is crazy. It really does my head in to think how long people have been just getting around these lands drinking wine. Because they've been doing that for like 8,000 years. That's a lot of wine drinking. Yep. I think I was born in the wrong country, but still, we were talking about that. So all of the history, we rounded it up as quickly as we could. There was a lot to get through, 8,000 years of history to get through. We also talked about some of the amazing ingredients that make Georgian cuisine what it is and gives it such a unique flavor. So for all of the dishes in this episode to make sense, if you haven't listened to that bit about those ingredients, uh, some things we talk about, you might be like, what are they going on about? What ingredient is that? What? So yeah. There you go. But anyway, in this episode, we're going to be talking about some of our other favorite Georgian dishes because there's a lot. And we're going to be talking about their second national dish, or at least honorary second national dish, kinkali, which is a boiled and stuffed dumpling, or at least it's normally boiled. It's not steamed. Occasionally it's fried, but it's almost always boiled. That's but the way to go. Pretty much if you're a dumpling lover like I am, I will eat dumplings in any way, shape or form. Just shove them in my face like now. 
all the time. Uh, you're really going to love this because I've tried a lot of dumplings around the world and I'm, I'm pretty certain that I can say that Kinkali is actually my all-time favorite. Kinkali is awesome. All right, let's talk about Kinkali and a little bit of history and all the different types they've got here because there's a lot. Kinkali is the Georgian version of stuffed dumplings. But we're going to be doing a complete episode on dumplings, because the history of dumplings. Because I love them, and I want to talk about them, and I love them. Well, and because dumplings are everywhere. Like, there are, there, I've had so many different types of dumplings around the world, and they're all quite unique. I, I don't... I'm get, I mean, most people say that... stuff they, in stuff. Stuff stuffed in stuff. Stuff stuffed in so stuff. So, once again, it's a stuffed stuffed in stuff situation. Perhaps the Kinkali turned up, well, the, the dumplings turned up with the Mongolians from Chinese influence, and it was stuffed stuffed in stuff. And they went, hey, we could do this with the bread as well. Let's stuff stuff in the bread. But also maybe the Indians did it first because they got like momos and stuff. Uh, well, momos came through Tibet. Ah, so it's China Down to again. North India. Oh, we're going to get all into it in the podcast So episode. this is your, your first hint. Well, I think everyone probably guessed this already, but dumplings are almost certainly from China. But we're going to get into yeah, a full yeah. dumplings podcast, which may be two or three episodes long because seriously, yeah, there's so many dumplings. There's even the controversy of like, well, what about ravioli? Is that based on Chinese uh, dumplings? I'm going to leave that for the podcast. Mm, yeah, that's going to definitely be a different situation. So anyway, Georgian dumplings, of course, are different from other types of dumplings. They are big. For a start. Yeah, like the size of your palm, pretty much. I would say they are the size of a nine-year-old's fist. <laughs> right. So a medium-sized child's fist. Yep. Not quite a full adult's fist, but definitely a child's People fist. People are running out to grab their but children right now. But not a baby's right fist. They're going That's to something get else. their nieces and nephews. They're like, how big is the fist? Oh, okay, now I get it. And they're stuffed with a soupy meaty filling. <laughs> a, a, soupy, a soupy meaty? Yes. Soupy meaty? It's soupy meat. So it's meat. Soupy. Covered in stocky, soupy deliciousness inside this perfect doughy skin that is shaped some like, uh, somewhat like a pirate's coin purse. <laughs> but of course, it is not full of doubloons. It has been replaced with a beautiful edible filling of meat or perhaps cheese or other things. We're going to go through a few of the Kinkali styles shortly. There's also another type, which is a bit more handmade. So rather than being a hangy little coin purse sort of thing that's done up at the top... <laughs> You shouldn't take that the wrong way. It's not oh, right. Oh, sorry. Uh, the other type looks a bit like a Kaiser roll, if you've ever seen one of those. A flat bread roll that has sort of a dome shape with vertical ridges all the way around, sort of curving down the outside. Little little nubs sticking up on top. Very delicate. Yes. Um, so they're the, the thicker homemade version normally, but sometimes people just make them that way out of choice. And they're just everywhere in Georgia. Honestly, you will be sitting at any local restaurant and you will see a massive tray of Kinkali come out. And you've got to swear, there's like 30, 40 Kinkali on this tray. I am not kidding. And that's just for one table of four people. It's like they just eat it. And also, and to be completely honest, if you go out in Georgia, most restaurants have a minimum five Kinkali limit. Like you, you have to order a minimum of five in yeah. order to get anything. And as we said, this is like a large coin purse size. So, you know, you eat five of these to one person, you're already sitting there going, Whew, well, um, yeah, that's a meal. And they're crazy, crazy cheap here. So most of the time in a regular restaurant, you're paying somewhere around 30 to 40 US cents for a Kinkali, a meat one. And that means if you order 10, 
you're spending four bucks on a meal and that's yeah. already enough food. So that's why a lot of people just order like 10 each and just sit there and drink beers and it just sits in the corner. They don't really even eat the kinkali. They have Which a couple. It makes me so sad. It does make me sad. I don't it, like the waste. I have to say wasteful. straight up, the waste of kinkali does upset me mostly because I would eat it for them if they offered it. Secondly. <laughs> We'd make a lot more friends if everyone would offer us kinkali. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I really hate the waste. Waste is something that really upsets me as a food blogger and podcaster. We're not those people that go out and buy like a hundred tacos just to get that awesome taco shot. We, everything we buy, we will consume. So to see people wasting food, it just kind of pisses me off. But anyway, that's my rant done. So there you go. If you want to get a photo of these, if you're still not quite sure what this old coin purse Kinkali looks like, uh, do head foodfrontravel.com slash Georgia podcast. There's a few things I want to talk about because we are going to talk a lot more about dumplings in the dumpling episode. So I don't want to go on completely at length, but a few things, if you're coming here and you're eating Kinkali, there is a little bit of etiquette that you have to be aware of. There is. There is. One, because they come out stupid hot. Yes. Stupid hot. Like, I can't even tell you how stupid hot they come out. So, not only is it a bit of etiquette, but it's also just like, don't burn your hands time. You've got to, like, leave them to cool down a little bit. Don't get straight in there, because seriously, this is a soupy-filled dumpling. Yeah, it will burn your face off. It's insanely hot for the first few minutes. So, whilst you're waiting, sip on your beer or your wine, whatever you got, and add some black pepper. Now, everyone sprinkles black pepper liberally across the kinkali. And I've never had a dumpling that we've sprinkled black pepper on. Is This is the first time. I Yeah, I can't think of other countries where black pepper is the regular thing. We didn't do it in Mongolia, I don't think they, they got I us to I don't think it was pepper. something that anyone we met in Mongolia was doing. Locals weren't doing it. Nope. So, this is the thing here. They sprinkle black pepper on them. If you're not doing that, people will probably think you're a bit strange. Strange foreigner. Even I did the other day. I saw some kids eating kinkali and I'm like, they didn't put pepper on it. They were tourists. <laughs> they were tourists. They were German. <laughs> the other thing uh, that you're not supposed to do, definitely a no-no, is using your fork. Oh, I do it all the time. Sorry, Georgia. Now, there's two different mistakes here, of course. You might use a knife and fork to eat your dumpling thinking that you should eat it with correct dining etiquette. No, okay, but no, then I don't do that. All the soup will pour out all over your plate and it will be a disaster. You want to slurp that, slurp, that soup. You want to slurp that soup. Slurp so, soup. you need to... Pick it up by the top nub, the top of the coin purse. Yes. Do not stab the the fleshy the, the, the softy bit. There is a solid nub at the top that is for stabbing. If you're yes. gonna use your fork. If you're impatient you shouldn't use your fork. If you're impatient like us yes. and want to eat it before it cools down, we stab it with our fork. But the hard nubby bit at the top is perfect. Don't don't stab in the in the other bit because you'll just put a hole in it and you'll lose all the soup anyway. Yeah, the goo and the soup will come out of the side if you stab the side, so don't do that. Really, you should not use a fork. You should wait for it to cool down and then you should pick it up by the nub with your hands and then bite into the top part of it. Don't bite at the bottom because then basically soup will slurp all over your face. Bite into the top so that the soup is at the bottom of the dumpling and then you can suck the soup out. That's the way to go. Doing it with your hands. So, now you know how to not mess up your first Kinkali experience, like most people do. I'm sure we probably did the first time, because you're like, oh, oh, soup just came out everywhere. What just happened? (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, still now we have a few little mishaps where you get a hole here and there. But really, if you can contain all of that soup in it, it's just delicious. It's umami magic. Mm-hmm. We've eaten dumplings all over the world, like a lot of different types of I'm dumplings. I'm kind of addicted. I think Kinkali's probably my favorite. I kind of love it. The secret 
to this slurpy awesomeness and why this is such a fantastic dumpling. Uh, the meat mixture is actually blended with water before it's put inside the dough to make it a sloppy wet meat. And then that water takes on all of the juices and fats from mm. the pork and beef Which is very, very different to the way they make Xiaolong Bao. But we're going to get into that in the dumpling episode. Yes. So if you think, wait, that's Xiaolong Bao. No, it's actually quite That's different. not how they make Xiaolong Bao at no. all. This is how they're making Kali. And this is why it's so unique. Although yeah. the style of having dumplings has come from the Mongolian goals and the Chinese, they're making them differently. They're doing their own version. It's Once again, everything is truly Georgian. It's different from buz as well, which is the Mongolian dumpling because that isn't juicy on the inside. That's just meaty on the inside. No, that's just like whatever meat they can get thrown in to some dough. Not only are Kinkali one of the tastiest foods, but they're also one of the easiest and one of the cheapest. So no matter what your budget and no matter where you are in Georgia, you're almost certainly going to find them. We'll be talking a lot more, of course, about the history of Kinkali specifically as it fits in with the history of other dumplings, because I'm sure there'll be some sort of timeline from how they got to Georgia. But the basic thing you need to know right now is that in Georgia, the first place where everyone considers Kinkali to have come from is up in North Georgia near the mountain of Kazbegi and lots of the mountain villages to the east and west of that mountain, because that's where the Silk Road came through. Mm -hmm. Just saying, was it the Mongols or was the Silk Road already bringing stuff here? We don't know. We're going to find out in the other episode. All right. Now, of course, there's lots of different Kinkali to try. So I think we're going to need another lightning round All right, because we have got a lot of different Kinkali that you need to consider eating when you come here. And apologies in advance with this lightning round. We are almost certainly going to pronounce some of the names wrong. Georgian's hard. Georgian is really hard. All right, let's do it. Okay, so here are some of the top Kinkali dumpling styles that you need to try out. All of the names of which we're going to massacre. Let's do it. Kalakuri Kinkali, probably the most common style. This is mixed pork and beef that has parsley and cilantro added, as well as cumin, onions, salt, and normally a little bit of chili as well, but the spiciness varies, depends on who is making it. The rich meatiness with their little green freshness from those herbs definitely makes this one of my favorite styles. Mm-hmm. Then we have mchiluri. 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 It's almost exactly the same as the kalakuri, but it doesn't have the green herbs in it. So if you are one of those people that are like, eh, cilantro, eh, parsley, gross, this is the one to go for. Mchiluri literally means land of mountains, and it refers to one of the North Georgia states where Kinkali actually originated. And the colder climate would have limited the availability of fresh herbs. That's why it's not in this one. Almost identical is the Kevshluri, which is from the neighbouring state of that name, also laying claim to the original Kinkali. So very hotly contested. There's a whole bunch of mountains up there and every single part of those mountains is saying, we invented it, we invented it, we invented it. Who knows? Sulguni cheese Kinkali. Of course, it has that molten, amazing Sulguni cheese inside. So when you bite into this one, instead of juice going everywhere, you could get a face full of hot cheese but normally the hot cheese just sticks to the dough and doesn't ooze out the side but it's it's delicious I love it it's probably my second favourite type of kinkali agreed then we have the tushetian kinkali which is beef and or lamb sometimes with spinach or fenugreek added no pork is used because this has been banned from the region actually since pagan times would you believe yeah tusheti is not a pork eating area that's for sure and uh, it's a very disconnected mountain area of Georgia near the Kacheti wine regions and actually during the winter you can't get there by road the roads are completely snowed out bonkers there's no access at all so it's a crazy crazy place with a, a completely different culture one we only recently just tried is the creamy spinach kinkali 
Oh my god. Less common, but it could be my new favorite. You, you know, you just give me cheesy, creamy spinach and I'm yours, honestly. In a, in a dumpling. Oh, mm-hmm. come on. Yes. It's a fully loaded cream dose, but the spinach gives the illusion of, of the fact that I'm eating healthy. <laughs> I totally believe I'm eating a healthy Kinkali every time I order the spinach one. Cottage cheese Kinkali. Of course, they use cottage cheese in some of the Kachapuri breads. And uh, it's best to check if it just says on the menu cheese Kinkali, it could be cottage cheese. It could be Sulguni cheese. It could be Imeridian cheese. So you want to check what sort of cheese it is. I find the cottage cheese sometimes can be a little too sour. It really just depends on which cottage cheese they used and who made it. But it's definitely less calories than having the Sulguni version or the meat or the creamy spinach, by the way. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about. You can also have just a straight up potato, which is not Tomo's favorite because it's carbs and carbs, or potato and cheese, which would be more inclined to try, but it's still carbs and carbs. So if you are a pierogi fan, this is going to be quite an interesting little concoction for you because it's going to be a giant pierogi without the sour cream. Mushroom kinkali. Yes, they cook up juicy mushrooms and they throw them inside a kinkali and there you go. They go vegetarian. This is one of the things they have in Georgia, the Lenten menu during Lent. They all go vegetarian Mm -hmm. and you can definitely get that. And It's almost vegan, but I wouldn't promise because there's probably butter in it because it's Georgia. Then, of course, finally, you do have the deep fried kinkali. We haven't even tried it. I don't even care to try We tried this. it once, oh, and we? that's why we never tried it again. <laughs> because unlike all the rest of the kinkali, which is sort of juicy, and you bite into it, and it goos out or whatever, deep-fried kinkali, it seems to lose the juice, so it's sort of dry meat on the inside. It's supposed to be a, an Asian version dumpling that they like doing here. It's a more modern style, having yeah. it deep-fried, and they serve it normally with some actual Asian sauce. They- yeah, it's, it's definitely referred to as being Asian style. I don't know if we actually mentioned earlier that all kinkali is boiled. It's not a, a steamed dumpling like some other dumplings. It is a boiled dumpling and then they have this deep fried kinkali, which is obviously fried. So boiled in a very different way. Yeah, boiled in oil. And that concludes our kinkali lightning round. So what is the best place to eat kinkali in Tbilisi? Everywhere. There's a Just few different places. I think I'm going to put some recommendations up on the website on the article, foodfuntravel.com slash Georgia podcast, because there's really quite a few. We like a place called Golden Mug, Golden. which is a Czech beer house that does amazing Georgian food. And they have great live music all the time. Yeah. Really, really cool place to hang out. It's a bit further out of town, but ab- absolutely worth the taxi trip out there, which costs hardly anything. It's like $3 anyway. each way. Yeah. So, you know, even though it's a 25-minute taxi ride, taxis be cheap. So, yeah, in the last episode, we talked about Kachapuri. And, of course, that's the Georgian cheesy bread. Now, in this episode, Kinkali. The two of those are really the biggest, most important dishes for you to try if you come to Georgia. But, of course, there are many more. And our full article on Georgian food covers around 50 different dishes. So that is a lot of Georgian cuisine to try when you're here. Yep. And really, I mean, even though we're talking mostly about like Kachapur and Kankali, these other dishes are phenomenal. Like they really need to be tried. I don't know. I, it's hard to choose a favorite. It really is because they have so much good food here. Well, I sort of have chosen some favorites. And in the rest of this podcast episode, we're going to be shortlisting our top picks and some of the ones that have the most interesting stories and history behind them. So do also check out the full list because there's loads and it's fantastic. You can do that in our companion notes on our blog. That's at foodfuntravel.com slash Georgia podcast. Now, back in episode one, we mentioned that Georgia loved their walnut paste. And we said there were going to be some dishes that they use it in that are really, really tasty. So let's talk about a couple of those. 
the walnut paste. It's made by grinding up walnuts with blue fenugreek. Once again, that's popping up because they use that a lot in Georgian cuisine. Coriander seeds ground as well, paprika, garlic, white wine, vinegar, salt, oil, and that incredible marigold powder, yeah. essential ingredient. So we've been talking a little bit about the real dirty food because you really, the dirty food's the best food in, in Georgia. But the walnut paste is something that is quite frequently used with a lot of the healthier stuff because they do have tasty salads and they do have, uh, which I'm sure we're going to get to very certain, a very interesting rolled vegetable dish. Yes. I mean, first up, we're going to say there is the healthy option. You should go for the summer salad with the walnut paste. That walnut paste mixed with beautiful beef tomatoes, which only really come in season during July and August. So make sure you're here for that. Cucumber, onion, uh, capsicum, which is peppers, sorry for the Americans, capsicum in Australia, and purple basil that we mentioned earlier as well. Mm -hmm. So this is where all these flavors are coming together. The beautiful fresh produce. You can get a salad and it's delish. It's an amazing salad with all of those flavors of Georgia, the basil and the walnut paste and the marigold all together. And those Georgian beef tomatoes just set my salad world on fire. <laughs> the very small world that it is. The very small world of salads. But that- it is on fire <laughs> with now, beef tomatoes. What Megzi was mentioning before is the walnut paste stuffed inside eggplant strips that are then rolled up. This is called Badrijani Nikvits. Nikvits? It's almost impossible to pronounce. This is definitely one of the most important Georgian dishes. They are very proud of this dish. Almost Mm. every place serves it. Now, we said this was going to be the healthy salad option section. We've already left the healthy salad section (laughs) option because the fried eggplant is fried. It's fried. It's fried strips of eggplant. And they deep fry that stuff, or at least shallow fry in a pan. This is not just a little bit of oil. This is just fried up. So, you know, trying. It varies depending on where you get it. Some places we've had it, they haven't really treated the eggplant right or haven't cooked it enough and it's a little bitter. Some people like that. I don't like the bitterness. When you get it where it's been really nicely fried enough or it's been treated before with a bit of salt to get the bitterness out, those eggplant rolls are amazing. Delicious. And I, just to be specific, like they're not fried fried. Like the eggplant is still soft. Yeah, so- it's not crispy because it can roll up. Yeah, so it can still roll into a roll with the walnut in it. But yeah, so it's like a a soft, light fry. It's not this hard, crispy eggplant roll thing. But it has soaked up a lot of fat. You know, you start with the fat a couple of inches in the pan, and by the end of doing one eggplant, there's one inch in the pan. You go, (laughs) where did that fat go? It's evaporation. Everybody knows how that works. Fat doesn't evaporate the same. Yeah, it does. Another new dish that we discovered on our most recent trip to Tbilisi is trout stuffed with walnut paste and sulgani cheese and then deep fried. I was surprised. I was surprised. I don't even like fish. Megzi doesn't like fish. And she went, oh, this doesn't taste like fish at all. I sent Tomo out, as I usually do. He's my, uh, does this taste good? Is this toilet clean enough guy? That I sent him in not at first. the same time. No, it's not at the same time. But that's what I sent him off to do. Obviously, as a foodie, I do like to give everything a try at least once. But he is my seafood indicator. I, I don't mind eating prawns and stuff like that. But I do have a limit of like, nope, taste too, too seafoody. No, I'm out. So he'll taste it and he knows what my level is. And he was like, you have to try this. It was... Delicious. I would order it to myself. It was a very soft fish full of this walnut paste, also with bits of cheese in it. And it, oh my God, it was really tasty. Yeah. And uh, the walnut paste has sort of crisped up along the bottom of the fish on the the bit where they've slid it open and, and stuffed the paste inside. So the bottom part of the paste has gone crispy and it's mixed with a little bit of cheese, just a little bit, not too much. Well, I say not too much. It should have more, but it has enough. It has enough cheese. Mm. And 
I don't know, that, that crispy, tasty bit, the, the way the walnut works with the fish. I didn't expect walnut paste to work with fish. That does not sound like something that should work. No, honestly, we ordered it because we're like, oh, it's a thing. We should try it. And then it came out. We're like, what? This is a thing. I'm so glad we tried it. It's on a lot of menus. Yeah. In fact, trout is probably the most popular fish that you'll find on a lot of different menus. But don't just go for the grilled trout being boring. Get the one that's stuffed with walnut paste. All right. Let's talk about a crazy dish. This is weird and sort of awesome. It's called Arlaji. And it is a dish from the Magruli region, which is a region in West Georgia. And it's polenta mixed with sorghum cheese and cooked for a long time to make this stringy dough. And it's crazy. It's you- hard to explain the consistency. It's almost like playing with stringy Play-Doh. You put your fork in it and you pull the fork up and you keep pulling the fork up and it's just creating this long string. Yep, it just keeps going. And it just keeps going. And keeps you're going to get at least one or two feet out of it before that string it's snaps. Great. It's so much fun to play with. It's- your mum told you not to play with your food. Totes play with your food. It's awesome fun. So we went to this slightly strange Magrelian restaurant in Tbilisi. It was a little odd. It was this sort of private garden which had all these little wooden cabins around the outside and I find it's weird in a lot of countries where people want to dine very secretively. They don't want to be in a shared space. They're like, we're exclusive. We've seen this in lots of countries, but it's not something that I'm into at all. So it was sort of weird. And the lady who served us didn't really speak any English. So it was very, very hard. All we did was we went, this is a Magrelian restaurant. And we've looked up some Magrelian dishes online. And we basically just said the words of the dishes that we'd found and said, do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Until we'd found enough food for us to eat. And then we said, Saparavi, which is the name of a type of wine. And she she nodded and she went and got us wine. So that's pretty much what happened. It was was a very strange experience. We were pretty much the only people there. It was like a weekday. And sometimes in Tbilisi, restaurants are packed on a weekday. But this place was pretty much empty. I don't even know if they're still in business. It was, it was a place. But I can tell you that was the first time we ever ordered that dish, but it wasn't the last. No. Now the history of this dish is, of course, a little bit tricky to pin down because it is just polenta mixed with cheese. They've obviously had cheese for a long time. Corn polenta they wouldn't have had until that was brought over from Latin America in the 16th century. But they before that would have had millet which is what the Romans brought all around to all these countries around here, Romania and other countries. They brought millet, which people could then make into a sort of uh, millet paste. Oh, so you think it was millet first. Food. So it's quite possible they would have just mixed cheese with millet before. That does make sense. And then they just went, you know what tastes better? Polenta. Yeah. Everyone's changed to polenta because it's just better. Yeah. But uh, it's a common thing all around the Balkans to mix cheese with polenta. It's just that this particular cheese mixed with this particular polenta and cooked the way they do. It makes it such this dense, sticky, Yeah, it's stringy crazy, stringy, Play-Doh fun. Yeah, it's good. It is really good. Really good. It's meal playtime, and I highly recommend it, both for making silly Instagram videos and for the fact that it tastes really good. Yep. So go for it. Up next, calorie overload with George's version of buttery pork and potatoes. Plus, make every last grape count. Two essential Georgian products that make use of the leftovers of the wine harvest. I couldn't do this episode without talking about this next dish, even though it's sort of simple. And I don't know if you can really say that Georgia invented it, although the cooking style seems pretty unique. But it's one of my favorites. It's called Ochakuri. Mm. And it is... It's essentially pork and potatoes, normally mixed with onion, but not always. Sometimes mixed with butter, but not always. Now, 
We no, went the, out to this. The one we order is with butter. <laughs> our favorite one, which we'll talk about in a little bit uh, in Tbilisi, has got a lot of butter in it. But we went out to this winery recently in the Imereti region, near the capital of Imereti, which is Kutaisi. Small winery called Vinebridge in the small village of Guguti. They're just opening up and they invited us to come and eat with them, to come and see what's happening to help promote them when they launch their new winery. I'd only ever had ojikuri the regular way in a restaurant where it's just served in a metal pan, chunks of pork, chunks of potato with a bit of onion, lots of butter thrown in an oven, heated up until the pork's crispy. So I thought that's what ojikuri was. Well, we've always got the finished product where they just like slap it on the table and we're like, there it is. So this entire experience was completely different. They lighted up a barbecue they were going to cook a whole bunch of things, but this was like the star dish of the barbecue. Now, they're not barbecuing on a grill. They're barbecuing straight in the coals. They get a clay pan. They throw in this really, really chunky, fatty bits of pork that have like the, you know, like almost like the pork belly and some. So you've got the fatty bit on the outside and the meaty bit on the inside. You've even got the rind still on the outside. So it's going to get really crispy, like crackling. They throw that in and they throw in raw potatoes and salt. And that's pretty much it. They don't throw any extra fat in because that pork belly has got a ton of it's fat got in it. Enough there. And then they put a second clay pot on top of the clay pot that's got all the meat and potatoes in. And then he just puts that in the barbecue. He just puts it straight in the coals and that's it. And it just sits there for like 20 or 30 minutes whilst we're eating the starters. I don't think that's he even it. stirred it or anything. It just did not sat open there. it, did no. not stir it, nothing. And yet, when he took it off, when he took it off, the potatoes were cooked through. They were crispy on the outside. The pork was crazy crispy, but still juicy in the middle because it's like pork belly. So all the fat just stays in it. I was like, this is one of the most simple dishes I have ever seen. And yet I've never really seen that way of cooking a pork and potatoes or, or any dish. I mean, cooking in a clay pot is a very standard way of cooking. Seen that a lot around. They do that in Turkey as well. Stuff cooked in a clay pot is definitely a thing. But just the way he just put the raw ingredients straight in, no sauce, nothing, and didn't even seal the pot. He just put another pot on top, put it in. Yeah. That's it. Done. Amazing. But I think the version from the restaurant is actually slightly better. It's because it's lathered in dirty butter. Soaked in butter, bit of onions. So that was a crazy awesome experience. Not something you can necessarily replicate, although we did tell them they should invite other people for dinner and they said they would consider it. They're building a hotel and everything. They've got big grand plans for their winery and everything. So you never know. They might include a home-cooked special occasion meal thing where you can have father's wine. <laughs> the special wine just for dad. Yeah, the father act- at the table got his own bottle of wine and he was drinking that all night and we weren't allowed to drink that. We had to drink the other wine, which was still fantastic. But we're like, what's in his wine? What's in his wine? Drugs. Probably not drugs. Uh, um, no. So we'll put some links to the restaurants where we like Ojikuri on the article. And also um, we'll mention this winery as well. So it's not open at time of recording, but it will be open in the future. And we'll be posting some more about that. Now, you've still got a few more dishes to go because seriously, there's that. There's so many. So let's talk about, this is one of the first dishes that we tried when we came to Georgia. And it's called Ostri which is a hot and spicy beef and tomato stew, which has ground coriander and chili inside. Now, I guess you'd be thinking pretty much everywhere in Europe has got some sort of tomato stew, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, a tomato beef stew is nothing new, is it? You wouldn't think so, but for some reason, I don't know, this I one just I rocks my it. world. Yep, 
I love it. They get it right. Uh, they don't over-season it. They don't go too crazy. But by putting the ground coriander and chili powder in it, that just seems to work. This is actually something we've come away from Georgia and it's we've just added it to our regular rotation of things we cook at home. It, that's how tasty it is. It's something you can make at home. Now, I think one of the main ingredients that improves it from a regular tomato beef stew is they do put quite a lot of butter in it. Oh. Uh, the other thing they often do is they use that purple basil at the end mm-hmm. and they put that on. So that gives you a little bit of seasoning that makes it taste specifically Georgian. So grab yourself a piece of shoddy bread, order yourself an ostery, which on the menu is quite often just called spicy beef stew because not all the translations work. And dig in. All right. Now I've got a great story about another dish that, that we loved. It's... It was so strange reading it on the menu. This is called abkashura. Now, when we first saw it written on the menu, we were like, we're not going to order that without Googling a few things, just in case. This is what the menu said. Abkashura, spicy fried meatball of pork and beef wrapped in epiplune. <laughs> epiplune. What, what in, what, dear sir? Is EpiPlune. Is anyone listening here aware of what EpiPlune is? We thought this was something we should definitely Google before we ate it. Um, I got the definition for you specifically. Uh, A large peritoneal fold that extends from the greater curvature of the stomach to the transverse colon. Now, I don't know about you, but transverse colon doesn't sound like a delicious food item. And trust those boring dictionary people to make that food sound really gross. I have to say, I have literally eradicated that definition from my brain (laughs) and just eat it because I enjoy the flavor of it. But having that in my head while eating it is not going to be a pleasant experience. No, everyone should sort of forget that right now. But I think even though that's really, really weird and this dish is really, really delicious, I applaud the menu writer for being so specific and saying in the translation that this is wrapped in epiplume. That is true, because, I mean, how many times a day do people order sausages and have no idea what's in it? Mm-hmm. And it's probably wrapped in epiplume. Just saying. I mean, effectively, it's some sort of stomachy to intestinal casing, and yes, that's what they do to make sausages. Yeah. So, actually, everyone's probably eaten epiplume at some point in their life if they've ever eaten a sausage, and they had no idea. But these meatballs are delicious, and... Obviously, the style does change a little bit depending on which restaurant you go to. But the ones we got at our one of our favorite restaurants in Tbilisi, Chash Nigiri restaurant in the north of the city, it was like one giant meatball. And this was bigger than a nine-year-old's fist. This is sort of more Hulk Hogan fist size. <laughs> this is a really big fist. I mean, at the very least, the fist size of a five-foot-tall woman, I would say, an adult. It was a pretty big fist of meat. There's a big difference between Hulk Hogan's fist and a five-foot-tall woman's fist. Yeah, and a nine-year-old child's fist. Oh, and a nine-year-old child's so, fist. Yeah, I'm not. it's not Kinkali-sized. All right. It's a lot bigger than Kinkali-sized, but maybe smaller than Hulk Hogan's fist. I oh. don't know. Somewhere in between <laughs> those two. Certainly not Andre the Giant's fist. No, no, it's definitely not that big. And the epiplume wrapped around this meat, it holds in all the juices, just like a regular sausage would. So when you cut into it, you haven't lost all those delicious meat juices. Uh, And of course, a little bit of chili and stuff in there. And they Mm -hmm. serve pomegranate seeds on the top. Mm. And uh, that freshens it up a little bit. It is very tasty. I have to admit, I'm not someone for innards, but this particular dish is very tasty. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to 
a dessert. Dessert in Georgia, not many of those. No, and we very rarely get that. I mean, did you just listen to everything we explained? If you eat any of those things, you're not going to feel like dessert, to be honest. But, you know, if you're one of those desserty sort of people, this round's for you. The, the round is one thing, <laughs> and this is not because we're not dessert fans. It's because no, they I, just don't do dessert. They don't that do much a lot of desserts, here. and I'm sure I'm, I'm certain right now Georgians are jumping on and going, "But what about this?" And we're like, eh, "It's not really Georgian." I, I don't know. I've, I've looked at a lot of menus, and I just haven't found that many like truly just straight up Georgian desserts. No, a lot of the desserts on the menu are things like seasonal fruit or apple crumble, yogurt with. With honey. honey. Like, it's not really Georgian dessert. Whereas this is a very Georgian dessert, although we've seen it sold in Armenia as well, and maybe they'll argue, but this is something the Georgians claim for themselves. It's called Churchgela. And often, if they're speaking English to you, they will say it is called Georgian Snickers. Do not be sucked in by thinking it tastes anything like a Snickers. It does not. It, it has nuts. Yeah, it has some nuts inside it. Just like a Snickers had some nuts inside it, but not even the same nuts, because I'm pretty sure Snickers has peanuts it's in peanuts, yeah. Whereas Church Keller is made with walnuts, although they do sometimes use other nuts. Walnuts is the most popular type. So, but it is made in a very interesting way. So let's have a little talk about that. Yeah, it looks a little bit like a lumpy dessert sausage on a string. And they're, ha- they're hanging. You always see them hanging about. So I think they look like candles. Yeah, they're like colorful, colorful candles. lumpy candles. Yeah. And you'll walk around the markets anywhere in Georgia and you'll see a few stalls selling them at least. And you'll least. be like, oh, candles. Yeah, and then they'll try and feed you some. And, and you'll, you'll be like, go, I okay. don't eat wax. <laughs> so essentially, these are a byproduct of the winemaking process because uh, obviously history of food, people don't like to waste you know, stuff. It's really amazing. And we're going to talk about the whole wine process of Georgia. But really, they use everything. Like when it comes to their vineyards and their grapes and, and harvesting, they use everything in some way or another. And this dessert is a byproduct of that. So we actually headed out to the Kacheti region, which is one of the main wine regions here in in Georgia. And we went to the Khreba Wine Tunnel, which is definitely worth trying out. It's a seven-kilometer cool. seven underground wine tunnel with lots of wine. You don't get to explore all seven kilometers as a normal tourist, unfortunately, no. but it is still very cool to go inside part of it and try some wine. And then you can come out and you can enjoy making the uh, Kacheti yourself. Kacheti. And shoti bread and try some cha-cha. Oh, yes. It's like an all-inclusive experience. We're going to talk about cha-cha <laughs> after dessert because cha-cha is something you'll definitely need to drink after dessert. So, essentially, it's actually a very simple dish. They take the leftover grape juice that hasn't been put into the winemaking process and they thicken it with flour. So, this is something they do around September, October time in the autumn. After they've made the wine, they've got stuff left over, they mix it with flour and then they put it in a cauldron to just slowly thicken up, and they just leave it there. Then they string up some walnuts on a piece of string that's like one foot long, and they dip them in the goo. And that's, that's it. it. And then they hang it in the sun and let it dry. They don't add any sugar. This is a fully natural product. No sugar added. So as far as desserts go, this has to be one of the healthiest, most that's natural true. desserts. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just leftover grapes, a bit of flour, and some fresh walnuts. Yeah, so they come in a few different colors because it de- depends on the color of the wine that they used. But, yeah, sadly, it's it's just not my favorite. I'm not a big dessert person anyway, but I, I do know a lot of people that think this dessert is the bee's knees. We're going to be doing a full episode on Georgian wine completely separately because Georgia, of course, has the oldest wine history in the world at the moment. 
So look out for that. But after finishing your dinner, as we mentioned, cha-cha is a drink that you should have. And this is somewhat lethal version of grappa. It's the Georgian <laughs> It's Georgian just grappa. as lethal as grappa, it, be honest. It, they're all a little bit lethal, aren't they, really? But it is actually now, it's officially become a, a origin-denominated product. It is. Which means... It is truly... Cha-cha only truly comes from Georgia. Yeah. If you're making it somewhere else, you've got to call it something else. It's a very strong spirit, normally over 40%, sometimes up to 70%. Those ones get pretty insane. The slightly lighter ones have a few more tones inside, so you can smell the grapes, but the, the ones that are over 50, you're basically just drinking pure alcohol. Yeah. It's sort of dangerous. So cha-cha is made by fermenting pomace. And distilling it. Now, pomace is the leftovers from the pressing of the grapes in the winemaking process. It's the stalks and the skins. Now, with white grapes, skin contact is minimal during the winemaking process. So it's really an unfermented pomace that is then fermented separately. With red wine, the skins and stalks may ferment inside the quarry with the wine for some time before being removed. This partially fermented pomace can then ferment further, be separated from the wine, and then eventually turn into cha-cha. So once the pomace has fermented to the correct stage that it needs to be to make cha-cha, normally at least 30 days, it can then be distilled into this dirty little beverage that's going to mess up your brain. <laughs> it's, it's hardcore. It's hardcore stuff. So... Often the cha-cha is double distilled to remove some of the impurities and create a higher alcohol beverage as well. And of course, the qualities of the cha-cha will vary depending on the original types of grapes. So red grapes can actually make a stronger flavor cha-cha than white. But also, you should probably point out that just because it's from the red grape doesn't mean it's going to be a red cha-cha. No, I was surprised by that. Yeah, everything's clear. So even though it's had that contact with the skins and everything for such a long time, the liquid that comes out once they've distilled it all is still clear. Yeah, the distillation process removes all of the color. Everything that's coming out of that liquid that's being boiled is the non-red part. The red part doesn't boil or something. Yeah, so I guess the only way that you can find out what grape it is is to ask. So yeah, most cha-cha is transparent because of the way the distillation process works, but some producers are now actually aging their cha-cha in wood barrels, which will soften the flavor a little bit, make it a little bit more pleasant to drink, and give it a slightly browned hue like a whiskey would have. So most Georgians who make wine will also make cha-cha at home. In fact, if you visit a home in the country, there is a very strong chance they're going to offer you some cha-cha. And it's actually kind of rude to refuse it as well, as much as you're like, oh, no, (laughs) just suck it up. Suck it up, buttercup. And it's almost certain that if you're going out to the country and doing this, they actually made it. It's not something they bought at a shop. No, no, this is homemade hooch at its finest. Oh, yes, it's dirty stuff. So we've definitely had a few lethal cha-chas as we've traveled around Georgia, but we dropped into a slightly more fancy establishment called Cha-Cha Time, a bar in Tbilisi which specializes in a multitude of high-quality cha-chas so that we could try some of the good stuff rather than just writing it off as being dirty hooch. Our host, Constantine, explained why, although Georgia has many people making homemade cha-cha, most of those suffer from a complete lack of consistency. Hello, I'm Konstantin. I'm Georgian, but I was born in uh, Ukraine. We have a lot of homemade churches, and uh, they can't prepare similar product in second time, yes? In first time, it's brilliant, really, it's brilliant, <laughs> yes. Uh, we can drink this uh, with a good taste of good smell, and because it's brilliant, yes? And the second time, it's very bad. <laughs> yeah. And we can drink this. 
At Cha-Cha Time, we tried a variety of different cha-chas and we were pretty pleased to find them way easier to drink than the farmer hooch that we tried in the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they went down much, much smoother. And also, I really like the addition of the cucumber that he put with it. No one has ever introduced cucumber and cha-cha to us before now. Yeah, so rather than shooting it, well, you're not supposed to really shoot it with the good stuff, but rather than drinking it with like a bit of lime or a lemon on the side like you might with a tequila, we had a bit of cucumber on the side. Very interesting. It actually worked. It sort of softens, it refreshes the palate a little bit in between cha-chas as well. Exactly. It's good. So, Constantine told us that they've put a lot of effort into sourcing cha-cha that is made consistently so that every batch maintains the same quality as the last. So, you're not getting one great cha-cha and then next time he buys it, it's terrible. So, yeah, they've really done a lot of effort to uh, to make that work. And finally, with a bar called Cha-Cha Time, we thought we'd have to find out when exactly is the best time to drink cha-cha for Georgians. Are there some customs associated with drinking cha-cha? Do you drink it before a meal, after a meal, or anytime? It's or anytime. You can any- drink anytime. Cha-cha is a perfect product. You can before a meal, after a meal, and uh, it's the morning. Uh, cha-cha time is anytime. Yeah, anytime of day. Uh, it's, cha-cha sort of <laughs> it's cha-cha time. So pretty much whenever, even first thing in the morning, apparently. Yep. You wake up, it's good for, you know, good to get you ready to eat breakfast. And then, you know, you have an after breakfast because you need something to digest. And then, well, you know, you have it for morning tea because, I don't know, you've got some ailment that cha-cha's magically going to fix. And then, you know, you have a little bit to get ready for lunch. And, you know, it just keeps on going. Yeah. Uh, it's even good to quench a hangover. The hangover you probably got from drinking too much cha-cha Yeah, the that's night called before. hair of the dog. Yeah. We know how that works. So you can try the good quality cha-cha at Cha-Cha Time, who have a new bar in Tbilisi, which is where we went, but they also have a very well-established bar in Batumi on the Black Sea. Check out the show notes or just type Cha-Cha Time into Facebook and it'll come up. But, I mean, top recommendation from us is not to drink more than two or three shots in a night because it is dangerous stuff. But they do sell it by the half liter in almost every restaurant and bar. So a lot of locals just go in and they order a half liter and they serve it out between two or three or four of them. And they're getting a bit drunk off that. Yeah, which is fun. it's all a good but time. People are great at drinking here. They are very strong in the drinking game. Yep. So. Never seen an argument in or a fight. Never, never seen anything close like that in Georgia. You know, you go out and you go into a, a world where there's a lot of wine and a lot of spirits and stuff like that. And usually you expect to see a little bit of a kerfuffle happening in the streets. Never, never, never seen anything like it. Never even heard a raised voice. No, no, it's a, it's a very friendly place. And when people get drunk, they just go home. Yep. Or they just drink well, more wine. Just, they just go get some Kankali from the 24-hour <laughs> Kankali and beer place and then go home. Actually, this is a good uh, way to end the episode. The final thing we should mention, if you have never enjoyed living in a country that has extensive 24-hour dining, you will be very impressed in Tbilisi. The number of full-on 24-hour restaurants where you can sit down at four in the morning and order a liter of wine and a plate of 40 kinkali is astounding. There is a lot. These restaurants also deliver. They also deliver 24 (laughs) hours and they also deliver wine. Yes, they do. 24 hours. Yes, they do. So as we said, there is not an alcohol problem here. There's an alcohol solution here, which is be nice to each other, people. And then your government won't suppress your wine. Then you will be allowed to just drink wine whenever you want because people aren't just fighting and killing each other because they got drunk. It's, yeah, it's another reason why we love Georgia so much. It's a free and easy place. It's very chill. It's very happy. We quite often enjoy a Kankali at three in the morning on a Friday Saturday-ish. It's a Saturday-ish morning. Yep. 
And, has uh, happened. Oh, it's delicious. It's a great, great, it's a great drunk food. It's a great hungover food, and it's just a great food in general. Get it in ya. So, thanks for listening to this episode of The Dish or double episode of The Dish because we've covered a lot because Georgian cuisine is crazy extensive. And, and as we've we mentioned... barely touched the surface. Yeah, we've only covered about 10 dishes in this episode and in our full article, there's at least 40. So, head to foodfuntravel.com slash Georgia podcast and you can get that full list plus any updates. And if you didn't listen to part one of this episode then do head back you're and... You're probably pretty confused right Yeah, you're going to be super confused. Yeah, that's it from us. Do make sure that you leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Rate and review, please. It definitely gets other people seeing our podcast and listening to it. And if you really love what we do, please... Go and support our Patreon account, which is on Podbean. And you can donate from $1.50 a month. It helps us keep the show running. It helps us do things. It helps us mean that we can spend more time podcasting rather than working on our business. And you get some super cool bonuses. Yeah. You can get access to some extra episodes. You get early access to new episodes before they come out on general release and and lots of other cool stuff. Plus, you get that heartwarming feeling of knowing that you're supporting the podcast you enjoy. Exactly. If you ever wanted to buy us a beer or a cha-cha, now Mm -hmm. you might want to buy us a cha-cha. Yeah, head on over and and put that uh, into the Patreon account and that will help us continue on our merry little way around the world. It helps fund our travels and it lets us go to these destinations, try these things and tell you all about them so that you can make the best decision about where you want to go on your next vacation. If you want to support the show, go to foodfundtravel.com slash extras and become a patron. All right, until next time, make sure you check out some of our previous episodes if you haven't already. And there will be episodes coming about the history of dumplings in, well, not in the long distant future, but maybe within the next year. We have we'll a lot be, of research to do. It's a big thing. And we're going to be visiting quite a few different destinations around the world in order to put that episode together. We'll also be doing a special on Georgian wine Hopefully coming in season two of The Dish, but we'll keep you updated on when that's coming out because Georgian wine history is fascinating. It's just as big as dumplings. It really is. It's just... It's massive. There's, so, there's just so much. We keep learning more and more. I don't even know how we're going to fit it all in, but we're going to try. It's going to be a seven episode extravaganza of wine. <laughs> Hope you like wine, peeps. Yeah. Hope you like wine. <laughs> it won't be seven episodes. Don't worry. Okay. That's it from us. Catch you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.